0: All righty then, um, we are going to continue in our study of 2 Thessalonians. It's funny because it's been almost a, yeah, almost a month since we, we started the book. We did chapter 1 and then we had all kinds of things, Palm Sunday and, and uh, we had the Sanctity of Life Sunday and Easter Sunday. So we're back now. We're back, baby, in 2 Thessalonians and we're going to be looking at the first 12 verses of chapter 2. Two, this is a very important passage of scripture because it's going to help you understand the milestones that take us to the rapture, the tribulation, and ultimately the second coming of Christ. I, I entitle this message in Glorious Appearing, as you'll see in a moment why. Now, in recent years, we've been treated to some real first-class liars. <laughs> Lying has really kind of upped its game in recent decades. Uh, You might recall back in 2009, a man by the name of Bernie Madoff, who had a a, a hedge fund and an investment firm, and uh, it turned out he was considered a genius on Wall Street at one time. I believe he was the chairman of the Nasdaq uh, Securities Exchange and. And he got money from the biggest charities, universities, rich people, only to find out around 2008 or nine that the whole thing was a big Ponzi scheme. And universities, uh, charitable endowments, all these things lost tens of billions of dollars. Even Kevin Bacon lost a fortune <laughs> in that. And then recently we had, we had another guy of the same cloth, guy by the name of Sam Bankman Freed, or as Tucker Carlson referred to him as, Scam Bankrupt Fraud. <laughs> and he had a, a cryptocurrency exchange that all turned out to be pretty much thin air. And once again, people lost fortunes investing with this kind of liar. But in comparison to the father of all lies, whom we know of is Satan, guys like Madoff and bankman freed are mere amateurs because satan opposes all truth he is the father of all lies and he works through deception misdirection and counterfeit truths to lead people to their destruction the greatest achievement of satan's lying career is yet to come and we're going to be looking at it this morning he is going to be promoting a counterfeit messiah whom we commonly refer to as Antichrist. And this individual is going to take the world to the ultimate climax of evil. And he is an individual who is going to come onto the world stage and he is going to, through first charisma and then through power and deception, he's going to control the whole world. And he is going to be Satan's proposed counterfeit messiah. Now, Paul the Apostle carefully taught the church in Thessalonica about Antichrist and how he will come onto the world stage in the last seven years of history. And Paul also briefed them on the cataclysmic events that are going to be going on during the course of the last seven years, known as the tribulation. And he also told them how Jesus is going to rescue his church before the fireworks start. But Paul was receiving reports. Now, remember, he sent the first letter, which we've already studied. He sent the first letter, and it was full of love and kisses and commendation, like, you guys are doing great. I hear such good things. But shortly after that letter was received by them, he got news back that the people there were in anxiety and angst because they misunderstood what was going on in their world. They were suffering from a lot of tribulation and persecution right there in Thessalonica. And they were concerned that they were actually in the midst of the tribulation. They they actually were concerned that, oh my gosh, things are so bad. We must be in the middle of that. And we missed the rapture. We didn't get taken up. And, And so Paul having that concern and knowing that, no, 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 that's not what I taught you. He now writes this second letter. And the question that he's going to ask is, the question they have is, is the world already in the times of the last days, the, the days known as the day of the Lord? Are we already in that? And he wants to clear up that question for them. Now, you remember when we were in chapter one of Second Thessalonians, it was a very encouraging Uh, enlightening and uh, full of praise kind of message in fact I shared that very message with the guys at Dan River Prison Camp uh, just Friday and it's just a very uplifting thing about praising the Lord and giving thanks to the Lord uh, in all things even if you can't give thanks for all things but now he wants to get to the heart of the matter He wants to clear up this this concern that they have. And so he's going to give them a timeline, well, mileposts. And we're going to look at those four mileposts this morning. The first is that before Antichrist can come, before the tribulation fireworks can start, there will first be a worldwide apostasy of the professing church. That's milepost number one. Milepost number two is that there will be a removal of the restraining power That is on the earth currently, and I guess I'm going to bet a lot of you know what I'm talking about. We'll get to it in a second. But the Lord is going to remove this restraining force upon the earth that has kept evil, the mystery of iniquity, in check. And then thirdly, the inglorious appearing of this Antichrist will come on the scene, which will then ultimately lead to the coming of Jesus Christ with his church to defeat antichrist and set up the 1000 year reign of jesus so that's what we're going to look at this morning Uh, as i say this is a very important passage of scripture for your understanding of end times and exactly how it's sequenced and as we go through it i'm going to point out some things that have happened in recent days where the church portions of the church were misled because they were taught by people who don't understand this passage well okay but i know that after today you all will so if you will stand with me please we're going to go ahead and read the whole passage it's the first 12 verses of chapter 2 and then uh, we will take each one of these mileposts in turn so here's what it says this is now paul speaking he says now brethren concerning the coming of our lord jesus christ And our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he... Who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they may be see, saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, God, that you preserved this wonderful teaching and warning. Lord, that we might be comforted in the knowledge of exactly how these things unfold. And Lord, we are so grateful to be part of your church, to have the Holy Spirit of God Who lives in us caring for us leading us and guiding us and Lord how encouraging it is to know that the time will come when you will take us up to yourself out of the way so that the things that you've preordained for the earth can take place Lord have your way with us today Lord let nothing I say or anything that comes from my heart or my lips detract from this most important message for your church to hear this morning we love you, Jesus. We pray this all in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Paul starts out with a real sense of urgency. In fact, if you have the, uh, the King James version of the Bible in your lap, you'll see that verse 1 of chapter 2 starts out with, we, we, we be, be, beseech you, brethren. In other words, we're pleading with you. Please listen up. Please understand. Because Paul is concerned that these folks have been misled. Uh, he, he's, he's seeing in the feedback that he got that they are confused with the issues that they're facing in terms of troubles, tribulation and all that. And they are projecting on that what they had heard from him when he was with them that, oh my gosh, this is so bad, we must be in the day of the Lord. We must be in that time of tribulation and somehow we missed our ride out of here. And I can tell you that many people during the pandemic, and I heard with my own ear teaching on the Internet of, of Bible teachers insinuating, or in some cases even outright saying, that we're in the midst of the tribulation. And that 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 the, the shot, the, the jab was the mark of the beast. And these kind of things are just... So injurious to the gospel, so injurious to the truth that God wants us to know. And here's Paul. He's telling him, don't be soon shaken in mind. So in other words, don't let your your thoughts go helter-skelter, because that's what happens when we are in ignorance and in fear. The combination of ignorance and fear causes our thinking to be corrupted. And we usually will project the worst imaginable outcome on our circumstances when we are uninformed and fearful. So he says, don't be troubled in mind, either troubled by spirit, because let's face it, there were spirits working in their midst, working in the midst of the world all the time. There There are evil spirits that are trying to deceive. The true believer who is well studied in the word of God has plenty of defense against that. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But but it doesn't detract from the fact that some of that influence was working on them, pr- preying on their fears, or by word, or by letter. Now, Paul had heard rumors that there were false teachers that came in the midst of these people in Thessalonica, much like they followed him everywhere he went. They'd come in after him. They'd corrupt his teaching. There was even uh, word that a letter had been circulated that purported to be from Paul with this false Message that hey we are in it now this is the end times this is bad i want you to understand because because the first reaction i had when i was reading this is well goodness they could just flip to revelation and lays it all out there (laughs) but this this book was written It's estimated this book was this letter was written around 54 a.d the book of revelation was not written until the 90s right at the end of the first century and 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 whereas we could be sure that paul was given a lot of the story by the lord jesus directly to paul and paul taught them that we don't know if paul had any of the kind of detail that the lord ultimately gave to the apostle john who then wrote it down in in the revelation of jesus christ the last book of the bible so these folks are going on the teaching that that Paul had given them, which wasn't over that long of a period of time. It's assumed he may have been there four, six weeks. He gave them a drink from a fire hose, everything from how you get saved all the way to the end of time in that period of time. But So, so now they're, he's concerned about where they are in their understanding. Look at verse five of our text. He almost says this in exasperation. He says, do you not remember That when I was still with you, I told you these things. The things that he's about to tell us here in this passage. So you can tell Paul has a great deal of urgency about, hold on a second, don't go there. This is not what you think it is. Let me tell you once again, because he says in verse five, don't you remember I told you these things? So let me tell you once again, this is how it will play out. This is how it will unfold. So the first milestone he gives them is in verse 3 he says let no one deceive you by any means for that day the day of the lord the day of that that begins with the lord taking his church out of the way and then and then the the antichrist being revealed and then the tribulation happening and then the lord returning all of that is kind of in that title of the day of the lord he says let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now, when he talks about the falling away, and by the way, different versions of the Bible express that thought differently. In some, I think the ESV has the rebellion. It will not, that day will not come until the rebellion comes first. The theological term that is used to express what Paul is telling them there is a word I know you've all heard of before. It's called apostasy apostasy is the departure from the orthodoxy of something you can you can have apostasy in the midst of a political movement you know a political movement usually has a certain platform that they follow and if people who claim to be part of that movement depart from that orthodoxy it's apostasy in that movement but it's mostly applied in the in the context of theology we have an orthodoxy of our faith we we believe in a, a singular God who's manifested in three persons. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He is both fully man, fully God. These we are saved by faith through grace, by grace through faith, not of works. These are bedrock orthodoxy of our faith. Okay, so when we talk about apostasy, what we're talking about is an abandonment, a rebellion against the truth of that particular faith, right? And apostasy usually involves, it could involve a wholesale abandonment of a faith. We see, for example, our nation becoming apostate because back 50 years ago in 1970, over 90% of our country would identify as Christian. And today the number is down to about 50, 60% and we see as young generations are coming up that more and more of them are abandoning the faith altogether but this 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 is not um, this is not something new because even back in the 1st century the apostle peter was warning of people who would be deceived by apostates those who are bringing false truth into the midst of the church Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3:17 You therefore beloved since you know this beforehand beware lest you also fall from your own uh, from your own steadfastness being led away with the error of the wicked Apostates have always been in the midst of the church so you might be asking the question okay well If Paul is saying that one of the critical milestones before the day of the Lord is that there'll be a falling away first, since that's always kind of been around with us, how do we know when it's the one, the apostasy that is preceding the appearance of Antichrist? And here we have to understand that the answer lies in both the nature of the apostasy and the degree of it. The degree of it, uh, obviously, is that it will be much more widespread. It will not be a local thing. It will not be something that comes into a church. It will be something that comes into the church, the greater church. And uh, the nature of it will also be different. It will not be people who just completely reject Christianity. It will be perpetrated by people who name the name of Christ as who they follow but although they identify with the church they bring into the church doctrine principles that are false or even diametrically opposed to um to what the bible teaches this is the kind of thing that is so prevalent in our day first of all the scope of the apostasy that we see in the church today is unprecedented and i and i have to attribute some of that to the fact that any one person in any corner of the world can spread their ideas their teaching to every other corner of the world that's never been true in human history until now with the internet and so what we see is we see a scale of apostasy that has superseded anything that has ever happened in the past there were local pockets of it there were certain denominations of it but now it is rampant throughout Uh, and this is something that Paul the apostle would warn his young mentee Timothy listen to what he told Timothy this is found in first uh, sorry first Timothy chapter four where he says got to get to first timothy i'll tell you these timothy letters one of they're so few pages that you can easily blow by them he says there in the beginning of chapter four of first timothy he says now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Uh, Paul was, was warning even then that in their midst, but especially in the last days there will be those who motivated by encouraged by informed by deceiving spirits will get in the midst of the church and begin to corrupt the orthodoxy of the faith now you would ask yourself okay well what would be the targets That these apostate teachers would be aiming at Uh, the demons or the the influences the demonic influences that would point them towards attacking the orthodoxy of the faith where would they be likely to point that effort and you you probably could imagine on your own that it would be in the direction of the nature of jesus christ John the Apostle spoke about the spirit of Antichrist that is already in the world. And here's how he described it. This is found in 1 John chapter 4. In the first couple of verses of that chapter, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. When he speaks about confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, what that what that phrase is is presenting there is that Jesus who is the Christ that is God's Messiah is the son of God so he is fully God but he's also fully man this is known in theological circles as the hypostatic union that Jesus Christ could in one person be fully human just like you and me if you were sitting here he would, he would be indistinguishable. And of course, now he's in his glorified body. But if he was sitting here as he sat among his apostles before he was glorified, he would be just another person in the room. You would not see anything about him. In fact, Scripture tells us that there was nothing particularly uh, attractive about him that you would notice him or that you would be drawn to looking at him like, wow, that, that's a good looking guy. Nothing like that. But he's also fully god fully God and and John says here uh, well we've read what John says um, so do we see in the world a a ramping up of efforts to to undermine this unique nature of Jesus Christ well in fact we do Um, and by the way I was assigned this particular area in the prophecy conference that I spoke at a few weeks back the apostasy in the church in the last days as a sign that we are in the last days and there were a number of things i mentioned there if you didn't uh, go to that and you do want to see what was presented there if you go to integritync.org that's integrity church's website integritync.org on their media section of their website you'll see links to go to the youtube uh, channel where they have those those presentations, but. One of the things I didn't mention there, but I want to just bring to your notice because it's right in line with the things that I talked about there. Back in the 1980s, in 1985, there was a man by the name of Robert Funk, very appropriate name, a theologian, well-known, highly regarded theologian on the liberal side of the spectrum. And he created this thing. It came out of an organization known as the Star Institute. And he created what became known as the Jesus Seminar. And the Jesus Seminar. This is right from their website. This is this is what their purpose was. It's still going on, but it, but it, the main activity has already occurred in the latter portion of the 20th century. So the seminar was organized to discover and report a scholarly consensus on the historical authenticity of the sayings of Jesus. That was phase one. On the events that Jesus was involved in in scripture that was phase two and then in the third phase they examined uh, or came up with a profile of who Jesus actually was now the way in which they did this was and this was participated in by about 200 theologians at least that's what they claim and again if you looked at the spectrum of theologians they would be on the liberal side of of the spectrum and um, they would come together and they would present different aspects, different passages of scripture that described either the sayings of Jesus or the events such as the miracles that he performed. And then the profile of Jesus, who was this man? What, what, what would be a descriptor of, what's his resume, I guess would be the way to look at it. And they sat together, they had these presentations, and then they would vote with these colored beads, they had different colored beads and each color of beads, uh, each color of bead would determine whether you believed as a voter in this process, whether you believe that what the Bible said is absolutely true, posit- uh, possibly true, maybe not true, definitely not true. And so they went through this total process of, of sayings, events, and profile and here, here's a, a summary of the findings that this, this group made. Which, by the way, influenced and still influences seminaries around the world. Okay, this is, this is some of the things they came up with. They do not view the Gospels as divinely inspired writings. In fact, one of their findings was that less than 20% of what the Gospels contain is not true. Uh, is true. Less than 20% is actually true. The rest is true fables Uh, they view the gospels much the same way that napoleon viewed history napoleon's uh summation of of the study of history is that history is a set of lies agreed upon and so that's the way they see scripture Uh, jesus was was a mortal man according to them born of two human parents who did not perform nature uh miracles against nature nor did he die as a substitute for sinners nor did he raise bodily from the dead. Uh, the sightings that are reported in Scripture of the risen Christ are nothing more than visionary experiences by uh, those that claim that they saw him. He didn't uh, He didn't walk on water. He didn't feed 5,000 with loaves and fishes. He didn't change water into right. He didn't raise Lazarus from the dead. And he was executed as a public nuisance, not as... Blaspheming or claiming to be God. The empty tomb is a fiction. His death was not a substitutionary atonement for anything. These are the findings of this august group of scholars. New Testament scholars. New Testament scholars like the guy up the street, Bart Ehrman. You wonder... uh, Why people would deny the deity of Christ, deny the atoning death of Christ, deny the resurrection, deny the miracles that he did, and then stay in the business of New Testament scholarship. The New Testament is a joke. It is is not worthy of lining bird cages if Jesus Christ is as they say. it, It would be like a doctor saying, look, all medicine is a nonsense and you can call me any time if you need a doctor. <laughs> Did, didn't you just put yourself out of business there, chap? You know, this kind of thing is rampant in the world. That denies the deity of Christ. There are some in that in that seminar who would de- deny the humanity of Christ. They would v- virtually say that the entire experience of Jesus was a, was a vision. And this sort of thing has permeated... In the presentation that I did there in Burlington, I spoke about the impact of postmodern thought on theology. Postmodern thought is, to sum it up, it is a view that says that truth is relative. It's the kind of philosophy that undergirds the idea that men can be women and women can be men. That that men can get pregnant and have babies. Um, It is the kind of thing that says that my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth. And even if they are diametrically opposed, both are accepted as true. And this has come into the church. Then a new method of of analyzing the scripture, departure from exegesis, which is to lead out of the text the truth that's contained in, and a change of focus to esegesis, which is to lead into the text, biases, values, preconceived notions of history and science. And the the, the word of God has been corrupted. This is proof. These kind of individuals are living proof of what has happened to the greater church's reception of scripture for its literal meaning. And This is why if this is not true, if only only 20% or less of this is true, well, then look, I don't want to take up your time uh, going page by page through this. So let's talk about social issues. Let's talk about inequalities. Let's talk about equity. Let's talk about climate. These are the things that have come in. No, this is why these things have come into the church. It's like, look, if this isn't worthy to be studied, because it's really just a book of fables, we can do that in a book club setting. But for right now, this is too important for this stuff. We need to talk about things that really matter. Um, You know, there's rainstorms and tornadoes and hurricanes and, you know, polar ice caps and what will happen to the polar bears? (laughs) so so what jesus is is telling us through the apostle paul is what we are experiencing right now i think both in scope and in nature tells us that the apostasy is deep it is it is not merely saying all of christianity's bunk so let's just walk away from it there's plenty of people doing that but the more pernicious uh, strain of apostasy is oh yeah we're all christians and what we believe is that uh, society should be equitable and that we need to do everything we can do for the climate or, or whatever the, the cause du jour is. See, what's come into the church is to remove focus from Christ and who he is and to place it where? Where would, where would the enemy want us to place our attention? On us, on us. He doesn't really care what you worship as long as it's not Jesus So that's milepost number one. Milepost number two, which is good news for us, we find there in verses six and seven. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. Now notice in my Bible, and probably in yours too, when it says he may be revealed in his own time, the he is lowercase h. But then you go to verse seven. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he, uppercase H, who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way so clearly paul is conveying that something must be taken out of the way before all hell breaks loose now we already know because we studied first thessalonians that what he's referring to there is the rapture of the church we saw that between verses 13 and 18 of first thessalonians chapter 4 you probably have it right on the adjoining page maybe depending on how your bible is paginated and what he's saying is that right now he speaks about um, in verse 7 the mystery of lawlessness or in some bibles it's the mystery of iniquity is already at work see paul wasn't naive he knows that there's plenty of sin going on in the world in his time from his before his time during his time all the way up to our time we certainly know that there is sin all over the place And the mystery of iniquity, you could kind of lump it into the forces that will bring Antichrist to the fore. They're in the world. They're in the world now. They come in the form of the things like we just discussed, this Jesus seminar, denying uh, the deity of Christ, denying the veracity of scripture, denying the orthodoxy of the faith, and yet bringing it under the tent called the greater church. And, and, and this, this kind of thing is exactly what Paul is talking about, the mystery of iniquity. Why does, why does this happen? Why is this allowed to happen? Why it's allowed to happen? Because the Lord is shaping the world for what he says will ultimately bring about his coming back to earth. But he's telling us here that there's this restraining force that must be taken out of the way. He says there in verse 8 that, that, um, uh, I'm sorry, verse 7, that he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, it could be easy to think that what he's referring to is that the Holy Spirit is the restrainer and that the Holy Spirit's going to be taken away off the earth so that evil can then um, flourish. It's not exactly that. Because remember, the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. And as part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, like the Father, like the Son, shares that quality of omnipresence holy spirit is everywhere so it's not that the holy spirit is taken off the earth because we know that the holy spirit will be active during the tribulation and bringing a huge revival to occur there will be many people the tribulation saints who will be saved in the midst of the of the tribulation and that can only happen through the work of the holy spirit but what he refers to when he talks about this restraining force is the holy spirit working within the church you might not consider yourself to be critical in the, in the effort of holding back evil. And maybe you are, maybe you aren't. But one thing is for sure, as part of the body of Christ, as part of the greater church, our very presence on the earth has a restraining force against evil. We are both preservers of truth, defenders of truth, right? This is the salt part of being salt and light. We preserve truth. If we hear falsehood, many of us, certainly Italian former lawyers, will speak up and and say, well, let me me help you with that. Or, you know, so we have a a restraining aspect to us. We also have a purveying aspect. We're purveyors of the word. We are, right? We, we, We are ambassadors for the ministry of reconciliation. The Lord is pleading through us, be reconciled to God. And we all have our own way of doing that. Maybe different degrees, different styles or whatever. But we all as a collective have a restraining effect on, on evil in the world. And so what, what Paul is talking about in verses six and seven is that there will come a time when the church is taken out of the way. That's the rapture. That's what we studied in First Thessalonians chapter four. Church is taken out of the way. And as we are taken out of the way, now that restraining force that purveying force it's gone it's gone and there will be no shortage of people who will stand up and give a perfectly scientific and rational explanation for what happened to those rather obnoxious people that thank god are no longer oh i can't thank god because we're atheists thank science that they're no longer with us and, and then and then and only then we see that the, um, that the lawless one will then be revealed. And, and so we have to understand that uh, these folks needed to be reminded of that. What Paul was essentially saying is, folks, you can't be in the midst of the tribulation because you're still here. And this was something that was missed or that was glossed over during some of the teaching that came about during the pandemic. I I think sometimes, with due respect to my brother uh, Bible teachers, if you start grasping for sensationality, if you want, you're looking to be sensational and and, and to really draw a crowd to your Bible studies and to your teachings, and you you start to stretch the headlines, you get into trouble. I, I mean, there are a lot of things in the headlines that are worthy of our notice. But I, I get a little concerned if every week you're, you got to scan the headlines for, to make another show, because you can start to cross a line. I think everything you need to know is right in the verses we're looking at this morning. I mean, all you got to do is look for these things, and and you're not looking for Antichrist, are you? You're looking for Jesus Christ, and uh, it's going to happen quick. So that's the next thing: is that okay? There's a falling away; the church is getting weakened by this apostasy that's coming into it then the lord says enough is enough boom the church is out of the way what happens next the inglorious appearing comes next Uh, verse four or, or let's go to verse eight and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. See, he is the captain of the liar team. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, what what's going on here is that satan once that restraining force is moved out satan is going to take over the world he's going to use as his instrument to do that this evil individual this antichrist he will be satan's messiah we know the trinity is comprised of the father god jesus christ and the holy spirit well there's a satanic trinity where satan is in his mind god remember isaiah 14 14 what he said there i will ascend above the heights of the clouds i will be like the most high so satan is in the position of father antichrist is the false messiah and the false prophet which you read about in revelation of course is the equivalent of the holy spirit and this is what he's seeking to do and so this individual that is the surrogate of satan he comes on the scene he is somebody who will declare himself to be god you see there in verse 4 of our text that this individual opposes and exalts himself above all that is called god or that is is worshipped, so that he sits as god in the temple of god showing himself that he is god this is something that he will do at the midway point of the tribulation It is spoken of by Daniel the prophet in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And Jesus referred to that moment from Daniel and Matthew 24, 15 as the abomination that brings desolation. It is the moment where this surrogate of Satan comes into the temple. And this, by the way, tells us that there will be a temple at that time. And he declares himself to be God and to be worshipped as God, which many, many, many most on the earth comply with. And we see here in verse 9 of our text that his coming and establishing himself in that manner comes by virtue of powers he has received directly from Satan. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Verse uh, 2 of Revelation 13 tells us that Satan gave him, Antichrist, his power, his throne, and great authority. Now, Satan is not God. He's not the equivalent of God. He's not the yang to God's yin or anything like that. He is a created being of lesser power, considerably lesser power than God. But the power that he does have is considerable. It is gigantic. And so to imagine that this wicked spiritual being could convey his power to this human being is something to be fearful of, no doubt, if you're on the earth. And, of course, there have been plenty of evil men who have been on the earth. Hitler comes to mind, Idi Amin, Saddam Hussein, Coach K. These are all people who have had a long history of evility. And they are notorious. And yet they pale in comparison to the evil that, I know, I apologize, pray for me. Um, (coughs) They, 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 uh, they pale by comparison to the, because all of the evil that they perpetrated on the earth, all those phony championships that they won, <laughs> this, this is all just a tiny little smattering of what Satan is capable of and what he wants to do. The, th- the thing that's troubling, and we're, we're coming to the end here, the thing that's troubling about this passage, and I want to explain it to you, Obviously, the people of the earth are going to be deceived in a monumental fashion, right? You see there in verse 10, he comes with unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive and love the truth that they might be saved. Then look at verse 11. This should be some cause for at least some trouble in your spirit. He says, And for this reason, what reason? Because the the people we're talking about did not receive the love of the truth. For that reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie and that they may all be condemned. Now you might say, oh my goodness, is God authoring evil here? Is God making it such that people are going to perish because his hand was involved here? Not at all. For those of you anointed godly people who join us on Wednesday night for our Old Testament study, we've been studying through Exodus, haven't we? And in the book of Exodus, we are at that portion right now where where Moses and Aaron, at God's behest, are appearing before Pharaoh to say, let my people go, and Pharaoh is obstinate in his refusal to let God's people go, and we're cycling through nine plagues coming to the 10th climactic plague of the death of the firstborns and as we go through each plague we're reading that in some passages some of the plagues after the plague we read that pharaoh hardened his heart but then you start reading and so god hardened pharaoh's heart and you say well god you're making it impossible for pharaoh to comply not at all see what happened there and what god is describing here is that people can get to a place of hardness that they have brought into their own lives. I refer you to Romans chapter 1 because it's very clearly described in Romans chapter 1 how people, even in spite of all the evidence that God has given, these invisible attributes plainly seen in the things that are made so that they are without excuse, people could view that. People with intellect and reason could see the reasonable conclusion that all of this tells us, which is there is God. And they refuse to accept it and believe it. They refuse to love the truth and embrace it. And when God sees a heart that is that determined, he gives them over to it. That's what Romans chapter one says. That's exactly what God was doing with Pharaoh. He was giving Pharaoh over to that which he was determined to harbor in his heart. And that's what's happening here. And because they are so desirous of anything but God, God gives them delusion and they embrace things that clearly are not God and actually are patently, ridiculously not God. Look at what's described in Romans chapter one. Instead of worshiping the obvious God, they worship the creation, four-footed things and creeping things. And they start to develop futile thoughts And their hearts are darkened. That's what Paul described in Romans 1. That's what happened to Pharaoh and some of Pharaoh's servants in Exodus chapters 7 through 12. And that's what's going on here. If you are determined to reject God, his grace is abundant. But there comes a time when pretty much he says, okay, I'm going to agree with you. Have it your way. And that's what's going to happen to the people on the earth. Now, you might be saying, well, gosh, that's kind of a a harsh thing, isn't it? Not really. Because the Lord will make possible during the tribulation the possibility for people who see the error of their ways and get smart to accept Jesus Christ and be saved. Now, it will probably cost them their lives, you see those individuals, the souls of those individuals in heaven, having been martyred for their faith, but God still extends grace during the tribulation. Please don't leave this lesson believing that God takes any delight at all in any single soul being sent to hell. Ezekiel wrote in Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Folks, I personally believe that we are In the last days, I'm not going to wear a sign and go up on Franklin Street or anything, but but I'm going to tell you that the things the Bible tells us to plainly look out for are certainly here. Now, these things can go on for a 100 years. So don't get me wrong. I'm not calling a date. I'm not even calling a time frame. But certainly there is nothing else you need to look for and wonder about to say that, wow, we're pretty close. We're pretty close. We're pretty close. I mean, you may be blessed in going from here and ordering your lunch and enjoying that lunch and then before the check comes. (laughs) That's what I'm praying for. (laughs) Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much, God, for the provisions you've made for those that love you, Lord. And Lord, this is not an exclusive club, Lord. We want to open this beautiful life to any and everyone that would hear it. And so, Lord, I pray, Father, I pray for the family members. I pray for the friends. I pray for the acquaintances, the colleagues at work, the fellow students at school, of everyone in this room. Lord, that they would hear the truth and receive it with gladness, Lord. Just as you, Lord, do not take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, neither do we, Lord. There's no enemy that we have for which we would want them to experience what the word of God says is coming upon the earth. So Lord, use us and use us up for your glory, God. Use us to convey the words of life to those that desperately need to hear it. Thank you, Jesus, for joining us here this morning and for living in us and teaching us through your word. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, enjoy the day.